Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Well, good morning. Thank you, Pastor Matthew and praise team for, for leading us in a powerful time of worship. Amen. I just kind of wanted to stay down there in the seat and continue singing instead of coming up here. But uh, it really is a, a humble uh, privilege uh, to, to have the occasion uh, to, to share uh, God's word with you this morning as well as what the Lord has laid on my heart uh, to share. This message is indeed part of our ongoing uh, prayer-themed series, Invited to Ask. However, this message today, it was not last minute, uh, nor did it even begin to be developed uh, a few weeks ago when Pastor Matthew offered me uh, the opportunity uh, to preach uh, this morning. Rather, nearly eight months ago, eight months ago it began, uh, it began simmering in my heart, and since then, the Lord has been using it in my own spiritual life and growth, as well as in relation to leadership and, and ministry here at Crosslink. So before I dive into our, our time of study uh, in Scripture today, before we examine the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, I, I must unpack that journey for you, thus painting a, a clear backdrop of uh, of what we're going to be talking about today, of, of this message and, and how it dovetails right into the series we have been in these last couple months. So as I said, eight months ago, I had the incredible experience of taking a sabbatical, a sabbatical, as many of you know, and, and that's a, a time of, of rest, so to speak. One of the, the great blessings uh, of being a, a pastor here at Crosslink is the way you all, uh, as a church and, and our pastor's council, our, our leadership, look to take care of your pastors. Uh, it is definitely a blessing. Uh, a pastoral sabbatical here at Crosslink is uh, defined as a strategic time of rest approximately every five years. Uh, I took mine last year within the sixth year of, of ministry here at Crosslink. It is a time to fully disconnect, fully disconnect from the normal pace of life and ministry and, and have time alone with family, with self, and, and most importantly with God. But much of my, face, uh, much of my uh, sabbatical is... Uh, uh, recapped on Facebook. So if you're really curious as to the things I did and, and what happened and what it was like, you can check it out there. I began my sabbatical with a premise, a premise based out of scripture, my life first to be specific, which is Proverbs 21 verses one through two, which says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Every man's ways is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. As I prayed for the Lord to work in my life during the sabbatical, I asked the Lord to do two specific things out of that passage, that the Lord would direct my heart and the Lord would weigh my heart. From there, I, did, I didn't specifically pray for a, a theme verse or something that would kind of frame my uh, sabbatical in any other way. I was just going into it with those two things, but the Lord saw fit to direct me to a passage of scripture that became a theme verse for my sabbatical, which would really filter um, uh, and teach everything else uh, that I experienced through that time. 
It would have a profound ripple effect uh, on these last eight months and, and as I pray, beyond. That verse was Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I made it a commitment to heed the exhortation Jeremiah um, spoke of, lest I might incur the disaster of consequences the Israelites were facing for their disobedience. That verse uh, became a filter and a prayer for my sabbatical. And I took time to stand by the way and see. I took time to ask for wisdom, ancient paths. I took time to reflect on the good way and I am strategically striving to walk in it. The Lord indeed was gracious uh, in providing a wonderfully refreshing and, and fulfilling sabbatical. As the Lord worked in my life much uh, through reading, uh, reading, consuming nine books in 36 days, prayer and reflection, four primary sabbaticals, uh, four primary takeaways uh, from my sabbatical developed. My number one takeaway was prayer. My number one takeaway was prayer. It was the first major takeaway, but as the remainder of the sabbatical unfolded, it became the most prominent, powerful, and overarching theme. Prayer, peace, productivity, and perspective. And yes, if you notice, they are alliterated. If you haven't figured that out yet around here, when it comes to sermons and divine inspiration, that is how both Pastor Matthew and I roll. Lots of alliteration. It's not just sermons, you know. In staff meetings, there's some eye rolls in the room right now. In planning conversations, things just end up being alliterated. It's weird. I, I don't know how it happens. We don't quite speak to each other yet in alliteration, but that may happen next. So whereas there might uh, be other areas in my spiritual life that, were, that have been more mature, more consistent. When it came to prayer, my walk had truly been short of this vital discipline. What the Lord taught me, well, the reality is, to borrow a phrase from Pastor Matthew, I knew the importance of it already. So it was rather what the Lord showed me is the profound improvement the area of my life in prayer needed. Pastor Lance Witt says, apart from prayer, all our scurrying about, all our talking, our study amounts to nothing. That's the reality I was in pre-sabbatical. There is really an awesome God story when it comes to this takeaway of prayer. One of the books I read uh, was called Replenish, Leading from a Healthy Soul by Lance Witt, former executive pastor, uh, to Pastor Rick Warren and Saddleback Church in California. In one of the chapters, I encountered a knockdown, knockout, mind-blowing, heart-stirring revelation. Reading this was a, a moment in time where all things came into focus and shattered apart at the same time. I want to read that excerpt to you because it tells a very vivid story. <clears throat> he called this chapter the most embarrassing gap in my leadership. I really didn't want to write this chapter, but I know you can't talk about spiritual health without talking about this topic. In the past, when I preached about it or wrote about it, I always felt a gnawing inadequacy. If you were to chart my ministry and spiritual journey, 
there would be large gaps where the spiritual practice has been missing in action. So let me uh, shoot straight with you. I struggle with my prayer life. When I hear guys like Jim Simbla and read about prayer in his church at Brooklyn Tabernacle, I am both inspired and depressed all at the same time. And I felt like uh, he was writing my very thoughts, uh, just expressing the, the frustration and the, and the absence. I know that too often I've relied only on plans, strategies, skills, and methods to build a ministry. I find this must be a common pitfall of an executive pastor. While my prayer life is still not what I want it to be, it's much different than it used to be. I remember that day my prayer life began to change. It was a Thursday. I know it was a Thursday because that's when our church bulletin got printed. Our Miss Kelly probably wishes the church bulletin was printed or the worship guide was printed on a Thursday. I was sitting at my desk reading a passage of scripture I'd read dozens of times before. It was the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. It's a stunning scene. And I got to relive uh, this stunning scene that he goes on to describe in the book uh, as best as I can in real life today. Part of uh, the early part of the sabbatical, uh, Kristen and I had the opportunity to go up to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we went to Sight and Sound Theater. Neither one of us had ever been there before, ever seen a production, and they were showing uh, the performance, the production, Jesus. And it was absolutely amazing any of you have not seen it and have the opportunity and ability to get up there to do that, I encourage you to see this. And so my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes in all of that was this temple scene and the way that they do it because it was exactly how I've relived it in my mind when I read the passage of scripture and much how uh, Lance Witt recounts it here. You know, you just, you just see Jesus rushing into the temple and he's full of passion. He starts flipping over tables. I really like that part. He starts knocking carts out of the way and, and shooing the animals out of the, out of the temple. And, and he starts, you know, smacking the Pharisees and the priests around. He probably didn't do that part, but I like to envision that he did. Um, and so G Jesus is very passionate and, and he's, he's upset and he's saying, you know, all of these things are not what uh, my father's house is to be about. And, and if you think about the disciples as they're, they're with him, uh, standing around watching this chaos ensue, if Judas wasn't already planning on betraying Jesus at that point, he was probably standing in the corner thinking, Jesus, you're going down. Uh, and Peter was probably already thinking about his denial. Lord, I, this, I don't know this person. I'm not here right now. This can't be happening. James and John, the sons and thunder, are probably like, heck yes, absolutely, Jesus, go. Let's, uh, let's, let's tear this place up because that was their personality. And so this scene is going on and all of this is for a point because Jesus says that his house is to be called a house of prayer. You notice Jesus didn't get, you know, upset uh, about prayer being missing. He, he got about, uh, he didn't notice that prayer was, wasn't happening there. He did not say this primarily to be a house of preaching or teaching or worship, ministry or programs. He said his house was to be a house of prayer. And the temple had all those things going on in abundance. The money changers were collecting, you know, dues for the temple and for sacrifices. And, and there were lots of programs and activities and things going on. And Jesus cleared the whole place out of that because prayer was absent and his house is to be called a house of prayer. The Holy Spirit took the spotlight and shined it on my own life. My next thought pierced my spirit. 
No one would ever accuse, would accuse our church of being a church of prayer with all the things that was going on. He knew something had changed. And it was at that point for me too, the Lord began to work in my heart and mind that something had to change. 19th century Baptist pastor A.C. Dixon wrote, when we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon what man can do, we get what man can do. When we depend on prayer, we get what God can do. For me, in vocational ministry, I must realize that ministry can be its own worst enemy. It often destroys itself. Whatever opposes prayer opposes the work of ministry, busyness, lack of discipline, interruptions. Our priorities dictate our priorities. We all face distractions, time issues. The importance of prayer rises in proportion to the importance of the things we should give up in order to pray. One of the opportunities I had on the sabbatical was to spend a brief amount of time being impacted by executive pastor Jim Law of First Baptist Church, Woodstock, Georgia. He is, recognized, he is a recognized executive pastor among hundreds in this role as the well-known right hand to Pastor Johnny Hunt. Over lunch, we could have discussed at length the subject of leadership, organizational strategy, his dynamic second chair leader relationship with Pastor Johnny, and we touched on some of those things. However, about 75% of my time with him was spent on the subject of prayer. When he left to head off to the next thing on his agenda for the day, I wanted to crawl under the table. Not because of how he made me feel, but because there was conviction. And I didn't like it very much. Pastor Jim Law said to me, be more concerned about how much time you don't spend in prayer rather than how much you do. I have not been able to get away from that statement since it was first said to me. When asked how he prayed, the Reformation Church Father Martin Luther said this, anything that is to be done well ought to occupy the whole man with all his faculties and members. He who thinks of many things thinks of nothing and accomplishes no good. That indictment strikes too close for comfort. So my first day back to Crosslink and into the office was one where I hit the ground running, no surprise. But it was met with a long, but not nearly long enough, lunch meeting with Pastor Matthew in our usual spot at Ruby Tuesdays. We do the garden bar. Crosslink family, I need to, to stop here for just a moment and throw this out there to you all. As I was challenged from Pastor Jim Law, uh, these times of connection and communication, even camaraderie between Pastor Matthew and I are so good, are so vital. In fact, they are rare in the pastoral world. I can tell you, church, we are blessed as a church with the heart God has given our lead pastor. Implementing his heart for our church is my great privilege, and I pray I never fumble that. Anyway, moving on from the sappy moment, I see a couple of our Marines in the room are, are getting uncomfortable. Pastor Matthew, he, he asks me to unpack the highlights of my sabbatical. Highlights being a keyword, knowing how exhaustingly detailed I can be. So 
I share and I get to the point of God teaching me this huge lesson on prayer. I share the story from the book I just shared with you a moment ago. Now, I happen to know that the idea of a prayer sermon series was one that had been in Pastor Matthew's mind and thoughts um, and heart since God brought him here to us. It had just not been time for it yet. We have had beginning of the year message series on generosity and serving as those were what God had directed in the last two years. But as I shared, I noticed the tears starting to form in the eyes of my pastor sitting across the table from me. Pressing on, I finished with the burden God had placed on my heart to direct our church to prayer, to develop a a Sunday morning prayer ministry, uh, which is uh, getting up and running. And what he said next, I I didn't know, I, I wasn't prepared for. We hadn't talked before I left for the sabbatical about this, and I didn't know it was coming. He said, in thinking about sermon development and praying about that for the coming year, I've been praying while you were away that God would show me what to do along the lines of a prayer study for our church and if it was time and and when to do it. And God answered the prayer and what he was doing in you. The compelling challenge God brought to us can bring colossal change in our individual lives and in the life of our church. God wants us to be a praying church. That's the God-given heart of Pastor Matthew. And I want that to be our reality too. The Apostle Paul gives many examples of prayer throughout his epistles. We are going to take a close look at what I call one of Paul's standout prayers. For many years, going back to the days of ministry and student leadership at Liberty University under the direction of my mentor, Pastor Dwayne Carson, these verses were repeatedly drilled into my head, and I, in turn, drove them into the heads of many other student leaders. Yet, the Lord has given them new life and refreshed meaning. Our primary text for this morning is that of Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 14. It's time to wake up from our losing that sleep of our spring ahead uh, hour of sleep. If you are physically able, join me in standing for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter one, verse nine through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfast and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we dive into this passage, we're going to take a close look at verse 9 and pick it apart a little bit um, because we will see the commitment for time and prayer. Paul gives us a, a picture, a definition of what the commitment for time and prayer looks like. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Paul and Timothy, James, Peter and John, Nehemiah, take your pick. They did not have the sophisticated communication tech and software that we have today. They couldn't Skype. They couldn't Instagram. They didn't have a fancy prayer app on their phone that runs their lives. They couldn't call or text. But they still ministered. 
They still ministered. They still prayed for each other. Every one of us can minister directly to the spiritual well-being of other believers without seeing or speaking to them. And it doesn't happen, have to happen digitally. The amazing, supernatural, technology-surpassing means we have to do this is prayer. While Paul gives rich instruction to the church at Colossae, he also gives them examples of his personal and practical ministry. The ministry Paul gives is an example here of prayer that is intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is the act of praying for others on behalf of others. It can range from casual to intentional and powerful. Pastor Jim Simbola describes intercessory prayer as prayer that touches God with one hand while reaching out to those being prayed for with another. Paul's example of prayer here in Colossians chapter 1 is an example of how to pray for others while simultaneously being a personal challenge to us, the individual, in what our prayer life should include and how we can ask God for these things and these areas to be true in our life. It takes devotion. It takes commitment. It takes time. So let's look further at this verse. We see there's a cause behind the prayer cause behind the prayer. For this reason, Paul is specifically informing the Colossians of how he and Timothy are praying for them. Paul is not with the Colossians. Where is he? He's in prison. He has learned of the Colossians and their strong faith, but also he's learned of the threat of false teaching, which had begun to assail and confuse them. He learned all this through Pastor Epaphras, one of Paul's faithful co-laborers in the ministry. So Paul removed from the direct hands-on ministry of the Colossian church and prohibited from even being able to go to them to check it out or to minister to them personally. He prays for them. When we look back to the opening verses of Paul's letter here in Colossians, we know he is giving thanks for their faith and their love. And this is, in fact, the second time in a few verses where Paul says he was praying always for them. Paul had a great desire to see the believers stay steadfast in their faith and able to counter the false teachings that were exposed with truth. He did not want to see them fall or fail. When we look at Paul's reason for praying, we need to recognize the value given to prayer must outweigh the time spent in it. There's a nature behind the prayer as well. And this nature brings with it four observations. The first is frequency, without ceasing. This describes a reoccurring and constant act, but requires two perspectives. There's a God-conscious perspective, which it doesn't mean a constant act of verbal prayer. Verbal utterance is verbal prayer, constantly uh, going before the Lord in, in verbal prayer to uh, the Father about these things, about whatever Paul was praying for, but rather viewing, in, viewing everything in life in relation to God as Thessalonians 5 verse 17 gives us another example of Paul practicing this type of prayer. Pastor Matthew has taken us to the example of Nehemiah the past two Sundays. Nehemiah illustrates for us this art of praying without ceasing. 
There's also a people-conscious aspect uh, to uh, this, a people-conscious observation. Paul calls us to this also in Ephesians 6, verse 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And so the the focus in the prayer needs to be God-oriented. It needs to be God-oriented in the fact that we're relying on him. It's not our frequency. It's not the amount of times we say it that that we're depending on. It's not the repetition of of the prayer. It's the reliance on God. But then also it's it's a people-focused orientation. That's what intercessory prayer looks like. But then the second part of this uh, nature um, is that Scripture says it's for you. Whereas Paul could have been concerned about his own needs and situation. He was, after all, suffering in prison and restrained. He'd lost his freedom. He couldn't go on any missionary journeys. He couldn't continue to preach the gospel the way that he would have liked to. He made sure the Colossians had an example of praying for others. In fact, we see Paul giving a demonstration of bearing burdens in prayer, as we see him do in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Although the Greek words, prayer and ask, were nearly synonymous, or nearly synonymous in this text. When used together, they stress slightly different aspects of prayer. The first is spirit-controlled. The word pray uh, describes a spirit-controlled nature to what is going on. It's incorporated, uh, this prayer is incorporated with his devotion and worship. Paul's devotion and worship incorporates uh, that the Holy Spirit is, is in charge of this. The Holy Spirit is in control. It's not Paul trying to come up with the prayer. He is, he is praying this as the Holy Spirit leads. The Greek word used here is the general word for prayer, always directed to God. This is a genuine prayer, exercised under the control of the Holy Spirit. It comes from Paul's awareness of the Holy Spirit and his identity in Christ, coming before God as a, as a child to his loving father. The, the second word, ask, describes a specific aspect to it. It expresses a particular request. God has asked us to ask, not to make demands, but requests for which he has promised to give if we make requests in the right way. Oswald Chambers says, prayer is not only asking, but an attitude of mind which produces the atmosphere in which asking is perfectly natural. The Greek word here expresses a strong emotional interest, a a strong tenor to the prayer Paul unpacks in the next few verses. When we look at the nature of Paul's prayer, we need to recognize the burden of time it takes to pray is replaced when the burden of prayer is realized. The next several verses, Paul presents an outline of sorts. Uh, He's walking through the different things that are on his heart as the Lord leads to pray for the Colossians. And and as he does so, we can find much example and application uh, to our lives. So what does Paul want to see the Colossians do as they strive to stay strong in their faith? There's a challenge for the time in prayer. How does he want them to pray? What to pray for even? When it comes to prayer time, your time to pray, this prayer is an effectively excellent example to use. I encourage you to do so. Each one of these following points we can view as an aspect of prayer, a guide. As Paul prayed it, so can we. The first is there's a challenge to know the will of God with surrender. 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first part of Colossians chapter one, verse nine. Prayer is not asking God to do my will. It is bringing myself into conformity with his will. It is asking him to do his will and to give me the grace to enjoy it. John MacArthur. When a person is born into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ, they are born with all that they need for growth and maturity. This is the theme of Colossians. And you were complete in him. Chapter 2, verse 10. Part of the problem that Paul is addressing uh, to the Colossians is that they were starting to waver, to falter on this matter. There were attempts uh, by outside influences and then internal ones to include other knowledge, other teachings that were contrary to the word of God. They sounded like God's word. There were, there were things that, that, that led people to, to grow and to do good, but they weren't of God. There was, a, there was an absence of the knowledge of God's will there, and they weren't submitting to God's will only. They were starting to shift their priorities and shift their, their understanding. Filled, the word filled here means complete. It means filled full, being fully equipped. Filled also means controlled by, in this context, being controlled by the spirit, not by the flesh or some other influence. This point conveys surrender, a surrender to his will in his wisdom and understanding. In our time of prayer, we should pray for this type of surrender so we can more fully live in God's will. Secondly, there's a challenge to walk before God in sanctification so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. The word walk, the, the term, the idea walk, uh, walk is used in the Bible to refer to one's pattern of daily conduct. A mind controlled by knowledge, wisdom, and understanding produces a life worthy of the Lord. Paul makes several statements like this. To the Ephesians, he says their walk should resemble their calling. To the Philippians, their conduct should reflect their witness of the gospel. To the Thessalonians, their walk, they should walk according to the kingdom, to the kingdom and glory of God who calls them. The false teachers in Colossae, they attracted people through the effort of spiritual knowledge, but this knowledge wasn't relatable or compatible with the teachings of Christ. Knowledge and obedience go together. Paul is describing the, the process of sanctification here. Uh, if we do a, a short theological study, we can come to a deeper understanding of sanctification, but this practical growth in our spiritual life is what, what uh, Paul is, is describing and giving us a picture of here. Throughout the letters of Paul, we see a theme of sanctification in prayers or in direct teaching. Theologian Wayne Grudem defines sanctification as the progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Simply put, our prayer life needs a focus. It needs a focus that brings about growth in likeness of Christ in our lives. Thirdly, there's a challenge. If we look next in verse 10, there's a challenge to work for the Lord in a strategic way. Now really, I needed an S and I really wanted to throw the word strategic in there somehow and it worked out quite nicely. Warren Wearsby said that 
Paul has prayed that we might have spiritual intelligence and that this intelligence might result in practical obedience. There is no separation between learning and living. They go hand in hand. Fruitfulness also results from spiritual knowledge. It is the byproduct of living in righteousness. Bearing spiritual fruit is a human responsibility. The Greek participle, bearing fruit, is in the active voice. Now, what that means and why that's important is this. This means while the gospel has innate fruit-bearing properties, believers must actively, strategically yield to the Holy Spirit in order to produce fruit. The good work is not the fruit, though. Rather, the fruit must be produced in the sphere of every good work. It's ongoing and applicable. Our prayer life is vital here because, get this, God works, or good works, correspond to the goodness of God, Mark chapter 10, verse 18, and are innately good, not just outwardly good in appearance to human observation. Since no person can do such good, it can be performed only by God working through him or her, Romans chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, the way in which God produces good works in us is through the proximity and vitality of what our relationship to him is like. This is achieved through our time spent in prayer. True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is, a far, it is far deeper than that. It is spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth, Charles Spurgeon. Paul shows us there's a challenge to grow in wisdom about God for sound conviction and increasing in the knowledge of God. Pastor Daniel Henderson describes prayer this way. Prayer is not a casual recitation of whatever pains and problems pop into our minds on any given occasion. It is the overflow of a heart focused on the conscious presence of Christ, clinging to him and his word as the source and scope of our lives. The knowledge of God Paul is referring to is what is revealed in God's word. This is something that should continually be increasing as we walk in our life in Christ. Day after day, week after week, year after year of our life, we are to be growing in this. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Elmer Towns, co-founder of Liberty University and renowned scholar, is known for his books, lots of them. Specifically, a style of writing he is known for is his books of the Bible rewritten as prayers, virtually praying through scripture. I wish I could write like him. Uh, he has hundreds of books published. But anyway, if we literally pray through scripture, we will gain a deeper understanding and increasing knowledge, which will bring about sound conviction for our life. Pastor Jim Simbla said that God promises wisdom to those who ask as long as they ask in faith. The fulfillment of God's promises often depends on our walking before him in sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. Church, 
it is essential, it is so essential that we hold fast to this in our present day. Sound conviction is escaping our churches, our leaders, and on and on. We hear and read so much of compromised and far-fetched versions of people's truth they live in. I read a lot of news. Kristen, my wife, does not. She says it's depressing. Why would I want to know that? She often says to me. She also says, why would she need to? I tell her what she needs to know from the Michael Miller news broadcast. I read hard right conservative news sources and fringe far left radical outlets. To be honest, they are both depressing. In our age of highly informed and <clears throat> saturated knowledge, we lack much true wisdom. It's getting harder and harder to tell the fake from the fact, even in Christian circles. Our good, good father is the only fountain of knowledge that is going to lead us to the sun and bring us to be the light that needs to shine in this dark and confused world. One of the most famous prayers in all the Bible was the prayer Solomon prayed for. God said he could ask for anything and Solomon prayed for wisdom, for discernment. And we need that. And we can have access to that through our prayer life. There's another challenge that Paul gives us as he works through this, this uh, outline of prayer. And that's a challenge to withstand with steadfastness, patience, and joy. Verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. Each of us face challenges and seasons. Our prayer life may look and sound different based on our problems, but also our perspectives in those problems. We can be tired, weary, and emotionally distraught, but after spending time alone with God, we find that he injects into our bodies energy, power, and strength. Charles Stanley. Paul knows that living the Christian life is hard. Remember, he was in prison as he was writing this letter. And so he is praying that the Colossians would find the strength to patiently endure trials and suffering, not in themselves, but through God's empowerment. We must pray so we are connected to the source of strength, God Almighty. The words power and strengthened come from a Greek root word that implies ability, power, and, and innate strength. We must pray so we are surrounded by a sphere of strength, which is the Holy Spirit. We must pray so we look to the standard of strength, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The three descriptive words as to the goal our strength in Christ should produce all point to one thing, perseverance or steadfastness. Steadfastness points to circumstances sent by God and endurance or the capacity to bear up under those difficult circumstances. Patience, something I don't know a lot about, patience refers to the endurance of things imposed by man and maintaining a state of emotional calm in the face of difficulty without complaining or irritation. Now, I don't know about you all, but to achieve those things, as Paul says, to do so with joy, the only way that's going to happen for me is through prayer. 
we often use the words joy and happiness interchangeably. I would say mistakenly so. Like the word love is often used out of context and we say it when we don't really mean it. Happiness often depends on happenings. Joy is a state of being made possible only by God's spirit working in us. Joy is a fruit of the spirit, not a state of fun that is subjective. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10 reminds us, do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Jim Simbler wrote, glum and despondent believers should be sued for false advertising. Jesus Christ is far greater than they're letting on. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 challenges us to be filled with all joy and peace as you trust him. If we pray in that reality, it can be life-changing. If we pray for others in that regard, it can be life-changing. Our prayer, our life of prayer, should give us joy. It should bring about joy that we sometimes lack going through the earthly life that we must suffer through. We can find our joy in prayer and relationship to the Lord. There's another challenge, and that is to be worshipful in our state of perspective. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1 verse 12. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. A rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. E.M. Bounds. As we pray, we should never forget what God has done for us. This alone should bring us uh, joy expressed as thanksgiving. Being mindful of the status we have in Christ should shift our perspective. Before God saved us by his grace, we were truly unqualified for our inheritance. God has, by grace, qualified the unqualified to share in that inheritance, the eternal life. We started out our service today, this morning, singing in worship how we are found in Jesus and that in his presence, there is freedom. In the presence of Jesus, we are made whole. Jesus is the light of all and all that we need. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Worship brings us comfort because it draws us to the Father. In speaking on worship and prayer, John Piper shares this. From your heroes, you pick up mannerisms and phrases and tones of voice and facial expressions and habits and demeanors and convictions and beliefs. The more admirable the hero is and the more intense your admiration is, the more profound will be your transformation. In the case of Jesus, he is infinitely admirable. And our admiration rises to the most absolute worship. Therefore, when we behold him as we should, the change is profound. Our prayer life should be filled with worship. If John Piper hasn't said anything that isn't profound, I haven't found it yet. 
Is Jesus the hero of your prayers? Is Jesus the hero of your worship? What Piper is saying here is that in prayer, our worship should reflect our state of perspective and that our perspective should be of Jesus that transforms us. The final challenge that we see in in this part of the, the passage is this, a challenge to pray for the witness of our salvation to be powerful. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As we have been rescued and redeemed, forgiven and found in Christ, this reality should be evident through our prayer life into our public life. Pastor Carter Conlon wrote, we live in troubled and turbulent times and we as his people need to be prepared not only to get through the dark days, but to be the very ambassadors of Jesus Christ to all those around us who need the hope of the gospel. The Lord has his people, his church here on earth for a reason to be the feet of peace and the very heart of Christ. It's time to pray. There's a realization that we need to have that we can come to, uh, to a place of a maturity and understanding through our prayer life that we are to be witnesses, that we are to be a light, that we have something to celebrate for. And Paul is reminding the Colossians of that. Some of them were starting to forget. Some of them were starting to get it confused with other things. But he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. And that is to be our witness. Uh, that is a powerful uh, example and illustration of what our witness can be. With those challenges in mind of what to pray and how, we look to the final point. Point number three, the carrying out of our time in prayer. In case you hadn't counted yet, there are seven points of application from this passage. It makes a great prayer, lo- prayer outline for something else there's seven of. Seven days of the week. You can pray one of those prayer requests each day for yourself, for your family, for others in intercessory prayer, for your relatives, whether they, they know Jesus or, or not. You can pray that they come to a saving knowledge uh, of the Lord first and then that they follow in doing those things. You can pray for your neighbors. You can pray for your coworkers. You can pray for the waiter or waitress who serves you at a restaurant. You can pray for your son or daughter. You can pray for your mother or father. All of those relationships, you can pray that type of prayer for and yourself as well. As we reflect on this idea of prayer Paul has given us in Colossians, we can find a theme for carrying out this type of prayer. Paul talks about prayer being constant, Romans 12, verse 12, steadfast, Colossians 4, verse 2, alert with perseverance, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And as we look, we see an example of commitment or devotion to prayer. We see the apostles being devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, they were devoted to prayer and ministry happened. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, Peter is first engaged in prayer and ministry happened. Romans 12, verse 12, we are to be constant in prayer and God can use us for ministry in that way. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul called the church to be devoted in prayer so ministry could happen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul teaches us to pray at all times and to be ready. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul relied on prayer 
and ministry happened. We too must devote ourselves to prayer. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, which could be an entire another sermon, provides a great review of the next steps for making the commitment of time to pray. In that passage, we see an example of bowing, an example which, which gives us a picture of submission. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In the next few verses, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with all power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We see an example of dwell. We are to be in relationship. Dwelling depicts relationship and we are to be in close proximity to the Father. We see an example of being rooted, grounded, filled up, which is a picture of discipleship. Uh, there, is, there is growth in, in discipleship and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints that is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. There's comprehension in discipleship. We're growing in comprehension of God's word and understanding. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That part of the verse is very familiar to us. We often uh, use that, that first part of it um, when, we're, when we're praying for a big change or for God to do a, a big work or something. But if we don't catch the last part of that verse, we're, we're missing the whole point. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Psalm 50 verse 15 says, our calling upon the name of the Lord, our act of prayer to the Father brings him glory. Our prayer life. In all of those things that we can pray for, for ourselves to grow and to draw close to God is ultimately for God's glory. Our prayer, our asking brings God glory. In his book, Transforming Prayer, Pastor Daniel Henderson gives a great outline for adjusting our approach to time in prayer. And it reflects back on our Colossians passage really well. Um, our Colossians passage today uh, resembles a lot of what uh, this challenge uh, says to us. It's time to pray to seek God's face, not just his hand. It's time to pray with your heart fixed on God's glory, not just for personal satisfaction. It's time to pray from the treasury of God's word, not from a list of your own ideas. It's time to pray according to the Spirit's instruction, not only from human reason. It's time to pray with a heart completely surrendered to his will, not with a hurried personal agenda. It's time to pray in anticipation of living triumphantly in the war zone, not in satisfaction with your own comfort zone. It's time to pray that God would change you not simply change things. John Piper says, prayer is a time-consuming labor which other duties have to be set aside. One of my most favorite quotes of all times 
goes like this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. C.S. Lewis. Some of you were about to be disappointed. You were like, there's been no C.S. Lewis quote. Is Michael all right? I was simply saving it because of its powerful application to our life in prayer. That perspective of time says a lot about prayer. If our most powerful means we have at our disposal, if our greatest position is on our knees, if our strongest hour is spent in prayer, why do we avoid it? Why do we marginalize it? Why do we abandon it? Why do we become so ineffective in it? We literally have access to heaven at our fingertips when we put them together in prayer. Yet we act and think that it is some far off and distant magical fairy tale we don't have time to chase. It's time to pray purposefully. It's time inductively for his will, for spiritual wisdom, for your walk, for your work, for his way, for his worship, for your witness, and for his glory. The time required to pray will feel like a burden to pray until the burden to pray becomes burden enough that the time it takes is time well spent. It's in your worship guide and on the screen. The time required to pray will feel like a burden to pray until the burden to pray becomes burden enough that the time it takes is time well spent. Church, we must strive to pray with more devotion, more engagement, more reliance on its power than our own, with more steadfast, constant perseverance. We can only do so through the one who gives us access to the Father in the first place, and that is Jesus Christ. May he be the author and perfecter of our faith so that he can in turn get the glory as we call upon his name. He has invited us to ask, church, it's time to pray. Let's go to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. God, and as we come before you today, as we have been coming before you in this study of of prayer and an emphasis on, on asking you, as you have directed us to, as you have provided us a way to communicate and talk to you, God. I pray that first in in our own personal lives, we would become more intentional, more diligent to seek your face. Lord, and as a church, we would always make sure that it is our first priority to seek you and to glorify you by doing so. God, I pray for the individuals uh, in this room today, Lord, that you would stir their hearts towards prayer. Lord, if there was someone uh, here today that, that does not know you, God, the first prayer that they must make is the prayer of repentance, Lord. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would move hearts uh, today, that you would bring uh, your people to yourself, Lord, that you would bring those who may not know you, And God, may we be a church that says it's time to pray. 
thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.